I'm Ben Davies, and this is The Clear Money Mindset. Welcome to The Clear Money Mindset, providing you with help and tips to manage your money in a clear and intentional way. I'm your host and financial advisor, Ben Davies. At Davies Financial Sterling Mutuals, we want to provide you with meaningful tips to help you with your money. Well, before we start today's podcast, I want to take a minute to address the current market conditions. This podcast is being released at the end of a pretty tough week in the markets. In fact, it's been a pretty challenging year in general. What's caused all this? Well, a few things I'll lay out for you. High inflation, rising interest rates, uh, supply chain issues, the war in Ukraine, the economic challenges of coming out of COVID. These are all things that have hit us all at the same time and in the midst of this market turmoil that we've seen some of these same headwinds have caused an almost historic correction in the bond markets the place that we traditionally look to to anchor our portfolio in turbulent times we are living through a time where both the bond markets and stock markets have come down significantly at the same time so what do we do well portfolios are constructed not just for the upside but also the downside. We go through a lot of effort to find managers who are doing good at navigating both the ups and downs, pushing their emotions aside and looking for value in times like this. If history has taught us anything, it has taught us that markets don't only go up. We've become accustomed to that really in the last decade, but when markets drop, I don't know about you, but it never becomes easier to stomach. Here are a couple things we want you to keep in mind. The first thing is portfolios are constructed to be diversified so that our risk is spread. So that even though we go through turmoil, our money is not stuck in the one thing that's dropping, but spread around. Uh, Warren Buffett said that diversification is no excuse for ignorance, and that's true. But we wanna make sure we're diversified in a smart way to spread our risk around to help protect when the markets go down. Secondly, down markets most always become a great opportunity for long-term investors. Don't forget that. Third, most people don't need all of their funds today. So you probably have more time on your hands than you think. If you're in retirement, the money you need this year is the money you need right now. The rest of it has time to grow. The rest of it has time to recover. And again, a sound portfolio is constructed to keep that in mind. Fourth, now is the time to let good managers manage. Instead of trying to take back the wheel of our investments, let's let the managers who eat, sleep, and live investing navigate us through this. And lastly, for those wondering, when's the best time to enter the markets now? Well, boring answer, but probably the best one is invest consistently throughout the downturn. Timing the bottom or the upswing is not as easy as you might think. Our podcast topic today couldn't be any more timely. Investor emotions. They have a huge impact on investor behavior. That can often lead us to making the wrong decisions at the wrong time. This can affect how we react in both ups and downs in the market, running to things that are high and running away when things are low. 
Our first podcast in 2020 was about navigating our emotions and investing, and we want to revisit that today. 2022 continues to be a tough year, and we want to look into how we can have the right mindset and how that right mindset can impact our investments. We're going to be joined by the Regional Director of National Bank Investments, Alex Nguyen, as she walks us through how investor behavior can both positively and negatively affect our investments. Well, we are excited to uh, be able to, in a kind of a dark time in the stock market right now, I'm sure uh, I'm not telling any listener anything new, but markets have been really up and down. And this is a time where investor behavior, investor emotions really get challenged, uh, sticking to your plan or trying to veer from it. Uh, for safety's sake, um, it's a challenging time. Even if you're in the investment business, you still have to uh, check all of those things. And we thought it'd be a good time to have a discussion on investor behavior and how the way we think and the things we do when it comes to investing can affect our portfolios both positively and negatively. And to uh, talk about this topic. We have uh, Alex Nguyen with uh, National Bank Investments. She's a regional director there. Uh, Alex, thanks so much for coming on. Happy to be here. Thank you so much. Great. So investor behavior, I think before we get into investments, we, we need to talk about us as human beings in general and how we make decisions. Um, emotions drive us to do a lot of things. Uh, investing is no exception. But what are, what are some real-life examples outside of investing that can drive us to believe the wrong thing? And then we'll look in a second at how that can affect how we invest. Absolutely. That's a great way to start. Before we go into market expectations, it's a great way to explain when a person or investor is being irrational versus yep. rational. Every single day, we are bombarded with email updates, news, different posts, social media that says what is perceived to be happening around the world. For example, one of my favorite movies, Jaws, they're now shark, um, Jaws sharks are perceived as the number one man eater. Yes. It also terrorized me as a kid and I barely went further than the sandbars when I was a kid. That's funny. That <laughs> I, I don't think I could blame you for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there, there's a ton of media, for example, on airplane tragedies, which could create a fear of flying. However, I think if we think rationally, then we could see that numbers speak louder than words. Okay, so give us an example of that, of how maybe our perception of things doesn't line up with the numbers exactly. Definitely. I mean, for example, you're actually better off at the beach swimming than in the jungle. Did you know that mosquitoes kill at least 830,000 people a year? That I did not know. That's a lot of people. <laughs> exactly. And a shark attack is about six a year. Um, maybe the last one I'll give you is we just talked about airplane crashes. And of course, they are an absolute tragedy. But if you look at it statistically, the chances of it happening are one in 188,000. But who has a motorcycle? Crashes happen, unfortunately, one in 103. And don't get me wrong, everyone is guilty of being irrational. Yep. Looking at these numbers, you think that it's obvious that you shouldn't be afraid to go on a plane. You shouldn't be afraid to go into the ocean. So what I would ask is in day-to-day -day life, take a step back, 
look at the numbers, and hopefully we can make a more logical and rational decision. Yeah, and the, those things are often hidden, especially in the news cycle. Like in the last couple of weeks, you turn on the news, even this, this whole year, the last two and a half years, man alive, like you can get worried sick. If you spend a day um, watching the news, not only are you going to be confused on what the heck is going on in the world, but fear really sells well. If there's nothing to be afraid of, there's no reason for me to turn on the news. In fact, all of us know this in investing, like when markets are, are going up, we're not always like checking the numbers every single day because we know mm -hmm. they're going up. But when they're going down, that's when everybody's tuned in because you want to see what's going on. But in the news cycle, there's there's so much negative there. And that can, I think, lead us to being just thinking of everything fearfully and and perhaps making the wrong decision. So if we don't see things clearly all of the time in regular life, uh, what are some of the ways that investors uh, can be irrational when it comes to their expectations of investments in the markets? Yeah, there are actually three different types of biases that I okay. wanted to share with everyone. Um, these are the ones that I see quite a bit. And I think it's something that every person, every investor should be aware of. The first one is loss aversion. This happens when an investor has a big fear of losing money and it is greater than the rush of gaining. This can be seen more likely for an investor to make maybe riskier decisions to avoid a big loss than they would to make a make a gain. Yeah. Maybe a personal example that I can give and that I've seen a lot is family friends of mine. They only invested only in GICs. That's all they've known. That's yeah. all they want to invest in, whether the rate was 10% or a quarter. They only wanted to buy GICs, even though they might be missing out on strong returns. And, and they knew that. So that's an example of, of loss aversion. So they were willing to make less for the comfort of not losing anything in exactly. some sense. Exactly. And, and that is an example of an irrational behavior. Another one is famil familiarity bias. It occurs when an investor is reluctant to diversify investments across maybe lesser known options. And they'd rather buy investments that they are very comfortable with. An example of this is you only buy, na you only buy stocks of names you know. You have a home bias to Canadian stocks. Yep. Although it only takes up a small portion of the opportunities internationally, you'd still prefer to buy maybe Canadian equities. And that would be a familiarity bias. So it'd be the idea of, um, I think a good example, just recently, like if, if you own technology in the last few years, you would have a really hard time getting out because it did so well for you. Exactly. But if, if you just rushed all of your investments into that, because you were familiar, because you had a positive experience, um, mm -hmm. we're now in a market where diversifying away from that has been a great idea. And in fact, many funds that we've seen that have done well through this downturn, I guess as well as you can when things are going down, they were able to walk away from things that worked even when they were still high. Um, exactly. Whereas... I think what you're saying is familiarity bias says, I'm, I might just stay there or um, I'm not going to go to a company in the U.S. or I, I've had this one investment for my whole life and I'm not changing it because it did great for me five years ago, something like that. 
Exactly. And the market changes all the time. Uh, what I see and hear a lot is that portfolio managers, for example, you just mentioned technology. Yeah. No one made an irrational decision. Um, nobody made an irrational decision to just buy technology in 2021 right. and stick to that. Yep. If you spoke with a portfolio manager or an advisor, the biggest focus was diversifying their portfolio to anticipate what could happen the following year. Yep. And that's exactly what an investment advisor would do is they help prevent irrational decisions and help you make rational decisions to say, this technology run might not work out for the next five to 10 years. It's great now, but let's think about what could happen next year as well. Yeah. So we have loss aversion. I don't want to lose money. So I miss out on opportunity. Familiarity <laughs> bias. I don't want to go yes. anywhere else, but what's worked, what I'm comfortable with. What's number three? Number three is one I hear the most of. It's a sunk cost fallacy. It's for investors who continue to invest more money into a losing project simply because they're having trouble abandoning it to avoid wasting their money. I've heard countless times of clients saying they're going to double down on an idea. And when you ask why, the answer is not about the balance sheet or the fundamentals of the company or, or the strength of the CEO. It's because they're too invested in the stock emotionally. They're too invested in the stock for the wrong reason. So they keep putting money into it, hoping that they get the returns that they were expecting. So they're just not willing to walk away. <laughs> no. And I'm sure it's a very, again, irrational behavior, but it's something that I think we're all guilty of doing. And that's exactly why we need help in realizing that perhaps the fundamentals aren't there now than maybe they were 10 years ago when we first bought a particular stock. Yeah. And you'll, you'll hear for those listening and clients listening, you'll hear us preach all the time about how important a disciplined manager is. Um, that's why we're a fan of actively managed funds because, um, you want that person who doesn't care about the emotion of the stock or, or of the, the thing they're putting into the fund, they're trying to look at what's best for the client. They're, they're looking at it through a more realistic lens. Um, not so emotional, not that a fund manager is never emotional. I'm sure that happens too, <laughs> but the idea is they're doing that for you. They're trying to put all of that emotion aside and buy what makes sense from a market perspective, from a cost perspective. So those are also good ways for us to uh, avoid those three things. So yeah. we'll recap them for everyone. Loss aversion, familiarity, bias, and sunk cost fallacy are ways that we as people in investing can be irrational at the wrong time. The next thing we're going to talk about, uh, a big term. So we're, we're tr going to try to boil this down simply. Uh, there's a term called efficient market hypothesis. This is a belief. Um, so, Alex, what is that? What is the efficient market hypothesis and why should we give a care about what it is? I try to say that three times fast. I was <laughs> trying to avoid saying it three times fast. There's lucky I made it through twice. <laughs> <laughs> um, essentially, it maintains that all stocks um, are perfectly priced according to the investment properties or it assumes that all stocks trade at their fa fair value. Is this the case? Are, are markets truly efficient? What do you think? I, well, 
I don't think so. Not all the time, and especially not in pockets, right? That's <laughs> um, areas of the market. I think if yeah, so I would say absolutely not all of the time. There's areas of the market that are overvalued, undervalued, and I think the technology in 2022 is yes. a great example of how that wasn't efficiently priced, and and now we're seeing how that is coming down. Absolutely. And that's the best answer. The, the answer is no, markets are not efficient. And the theory assumes that all investors perceive that all, all investors, the theory assumes all investors perceive all available information the same way. It means that everything that we read, we all view it as the same way. Right. If this was the case, then nobody would get greater returns than anybody else. They would all get the same returns based on the amount they invested in under an efficient market. Mm -hmm. To this day, I think we can say with confidence that this hasn't happened yet. Yeah. And finally, no investor should be able to beat the benchmark under this market hypothesis. We should all just invest in the index fund is, is what it's saying. And there are many investors that have beaten the benchmark. Warren Buffett, for example, he's a prime example of a portfolio manager who's managed to outperform the benchmark year over year. Yeah. And that, the funny thing about that is um, often you hear the stat on on how many actively managed funds beat the index. Um, and in any career, I would say... Yeah. It would not be a compliment for me to say, Alex, out of all of the regional directors I know, I want to congratulate you. You are average. <laughs> you wouldn't be like, well, thanks a lot. That <clears throat> you're. I think most people go to their job trying to be above average. Yes. So even in Canada, you have thousands of funds. Yeah, exactly. And if only 5 or 10% beat the index, that's still a couple hundred more at least then you're going to be able to hold in your portfolio at any given time. Yes. So there's a reason there is a reason to maybe not with all of your money, especially not with as efficient as indexes can be, but there's there's a lot of good data to say finding a good quality manager can help you over time, especially in times like this. I think um losing less when the markets go down. That's one of our favorite things to find in a manager because it helps everybody sleep a bit. And since we're talking about investor behavior and emotion, um, sleeping at night is a nice feature. And so yes. anyway, markets are not always efficient. Um, and so, we, sorry. So we have two things here. One is it assumes that there's no way to get higher returns. And so then the conclusion to that is you should be in an index of some kind because you can't beat the markets or efficient all the time. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And that is, we're not here to say that index funds or the benchmarks are always wrong. That's right. They've yeah. had great returns, but there is opportunity to get greater returns when working with a portfolio manager. Mm -hmm. But there's also an opportunity to for stronger downside protection based on your personal needs or your long-term goals. Yeah. That is something that an index or a benchmark cannot tell. Perhaps the benchmark goes down 20% and you can't afford to do that or you that is beyond an investor's comfort level. Yeah. An advisor can potentially find solutions to help you lose a little less. Perhaps 
5%, and that's exactly the goal of an active portfolio manager. Yeah, and I think some people don't even realize, like in Canada, we have funds, I'm sure it's the same in the States, that are designed not to beat the market, like low-vol funds, funds that are more for retirees that need a certain type of equity that's not going to flop up and down all the time. So their, their goal isn't, in every investment, the goal isn't to beat the benchmark. So you have all of those funds in the uh, the world of actively managed funds in Canada that yeah. their goal might be just to hold on to your money and to make somebody 70 years old be okay with some of their money being in the market and making moderate returns or maybe getting a dividend or something like that. So there's, yeah. it's a lot more nuanced than am I beating the market or not? That might exactly. not be your goals to beat the market. No, exactly. It, it depends on the investor's comfort level yeah. more than anything. And if they're comfortable with the passive products that you were talking about, that's absolutely the way that they should go. And yep. But that's exactly why those conversations are needed. Yeah. So there's another yeah. one. Uh, this comes up a lot in market cycles like this where we've experienced a, a significant downturn. Um, mm-hmm. Market timing. Uh, <laughs> should I just leave now and come back? Or um, should I get in now or get out later? All of those kinds of things uh, that people walk through when either markets are high or low. Um, so let's walk through this. What exactly is market timing? And then let's look at how our emotions can play into that. And then in a minute, we'll talk, talk about... Does it work? Does it work often or all the time? (laughs) Definitely. And this is a huge conversation now with markets uh, underperforming and going through uh, a short-term correction. A lot of questions are, is this the right time to get in or are we going to go further down uh, in the markets? And I mean, let's talk about market timing, especially now it's very important and exactly what it's exactly what it sounds like. You create a strategy of buying and selling decisions by attempting to predict future market price movements. This is super hard to do because you need to be right twice. You need to know when to get into a stock, but also when to get out. You may get it right once, maybe even twice, but doing it consistently over the next few years is going to be a big challenge. So when it comes to market timing, um, how do our emotions play into this? There's a few ways that emotions can play into this. And that is, again, biases that perhaps we haven't seen before. And we'll go through it. And one that's pretty obvious when it comes to emotions is seasonal behaviors. That's the first thing that comes to mind when putting emotions and market timing together. There's the January effect. It's where investors will generally see stock prices rise throughout January due to an increase in buying. I love this term. I've heard it since I've started in the business. Yeah. Sell in May, go, go away. away. And that is the time to sell your products before heading off to summer. Then there's the October effect, a perceived market anomaly, assuming stocks take a dip during the month of October. And Santa Claus rally. It's an increase in stocks throughout the last week of December into the first two trading days of January. This is attributed to an increase in optimism and happiness and anticipation of the January effect. I think I can say for 2022, none of this has happened so far. I would hope to think that in May, 
you did not sell your your investments. Yes. And in the October effect in 2021, there was a huge rally. Markets were very strong in October. Yeah. So market timing and emotional biases, this is irrational. These are irrational decisions. And and uh, this is this is exactly what market timing is when, when you think of it together. And those are some... Uh some funny ways that uh, we've been able to coin terms for the way we emotionally play the market. I think we sometimes we forget like the market is this big machine, but yeah. it's it's incredibly nuanced with thousands of companies inside of these different indices, right? Like yeah. they're not all going to do the same at the same time, and government officials even don't really they can do things that affect it, but the businesses inside of it being successful or not is what makes those things work. And it's not like it's all moving together like one big blob all the time. Um, and we can wrongfully think of it that way. Exactly. There's many macro events that are happening around the world that are completely uncontrollable. Yeah. For example, waiting for a vaccine that yeah. tripled the market or Markets were up almost a thousand points the day that the vaccine was announced. Things that were uncontrollable. The unfortunate uh, wars that are happening in, with Ukraine and Russia, that is completely beyond our control. Uh, of course, COVID as a whole really took a toll on the markets initially and made interest rates decrease significantly. These are all things that we couldn't anticipate. And that's where these market timing and biases, unfortunately, do not work. Yep. And that goes into your next question, actually. Yeah. So does it, so on average, does it work? So, because there's many people who believe it does. And I'm sure for every philosophy, there's people who've had some measure of success. Um, so does timing the market work on average? On average, no. And the reason why is moving in and out of the market every month based on an investor's expectations of performance, it can be detrimental to the outcome. Every time you sell a product, there is tax consequences, management fee considerations. There's even a short-term trading fee. It's not just about capturing returns. You do have to look at the overall picture. Yeah. A myth I've heard for a long time is that timing of your annual savings investments is of utmost importance for the well-being of your portfolio in the long run. The reality is the timing of your annual savings investments, it's, it's not going to make a difference in the long run. It is actually far from being a critical factor, and it's definitely not as important as many people seem to believe. What really matters is the frequency of savings and passage of time, so not market timing. Yep. Um, what I would leave you with when you think about market timing is that it's not about time. It is about time in the market, not timing the market. I think that's where you get these terms that get tossed around like dollar cost averaging. This yes. idea that you're putting money in on a regular basis all of the time. Um, because when the markets are high, you're buying less. And when they're low, you're buying more. Because yes. you, don't, you don't know. But I think an important thing that we've forgotten is um, like we live in a day where returns are everything. And you want to have competitive returns. You want to put your money to work and know that uh, it's getting you something of value back compared to yes. everything else that's there. But one of the most critical things for a person to do is to make sure they're investing early and often. And at the end of the day, that makes up 
in a sense, for them having to be right all the time. Because if given the passage of time, it's those who did save exactly and saved on a regular basis that wound up having success, um, not necessarily those who were able to guess it right every single time. Um, I remember a good mentor of mine always used to say that uh, if I knew, if I had a crystal ball and could predict what was going to happen in the markets to line up at my doorway, it would be way longer <laughs> than it is right now. That's just the reality. Like we don't know what's going to happen all the time. Yes. But that consistency matters. And if history means anything at all, even though it can't guarantee future performance, um, but history is all we have to look back on. And history says if you invested often, um, as early as you could, you did okay. Um, so what are some ways we can take our emotions out of investing and have more discipline in our investments? If all of these biases are there, yes. our behaviors um, fueled by our emotions can often lead us to do the wrong thing. What are some ways we can remove ourselves from that and be more disciplined? Yes, and this is my favorite part. This is also the most difficult for any investor is to remove any their emotions. And what we understand is that this is everyone's hard-earned money. This yep. is this is everything that they've worked for. And it is hard to take out the emotion and sometimes be in a rational a rational investor. We completely understand that. But this is exactly why I think the solution is we should go to advisors, counselors such as Ben to guide them through a whole range of emotions during the investment process. Investment emotions can go from excitement and optimism and thrill to panic, denial and fear. Yep. This is where you speak to your advisor, be prepared with as many questions as you have on the markets. The more you ask, the better. That way, advisors like Ben can help you with your financial decisions. Yeah, and a lot of times we're there to, in times like this too, like we don't always have all the answers, but we can provide some context, meaning like, yeah. it's like Ben, when's the bottom coming? So that's <laughs> a great question. And if I knew that, um, Again, line up at the doorway a lot longer than it is right now if, if we could tell all those things. But you can oftentimes give context to help people uh, cope with the way things are now. Um, and then hopefully when it comes to emotions, one of the things advisors are doing all the time is trying to plan the client's investments around their emotions. And that's why exactly. your advisor didn't let you buy 100% technology because <laughs> you wanted to go for a fun ride and you don't care about risk. They're, they're there and regulators are there, have done a lot of work in the last couple of years to make sure advisors are getting in tune with the emotions of their clients. Because it's in downturns like this where I tell clients, this is when you realize what your true risk tolerance actually is. Exactly. So we want to try to shape a portfolio to be there. So when we're talking about the worst case scenario on the phone, it's not, it's the worst case scenario for you. Exactly. And not way more worse than you were expecting. Um, exactly. And that's exactly why we're here to help. You just said it correctly. It's about managing your risk tolerance and how long should an investor be in the markets based on their long-term goals. Yeah. I know you wouldn't recommend a full tech technology stock portfolio if someone's going to retire in the next five years. No. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly why you're here, why an advisor as a whole are here to help. It's because perhaps the irrational side of an investor is 
they want to invest in what's working really well now. But that's when an advisor comes in to challenge you and say, is that going to work in the next five to 10 years? Yeah. And then like, just to give people an idea of how this works full circle. So you're, you're with national bank investments. We, we have a couple of funds of yours that we, that people will find in their portfolios if they, um, if they check them out. And I, I know they've known that ahead of time, but their job is to help us. So you guys are in the markets right now. You have experts who are seeing everything, seeing all the data, more data than we can harvest in a day. Um, and at a time where we're trying to keep our clients' emotions in check and help them get through this, you guys are doing the same for us. And you're filtering through the bad news and the good news every single day uh, with experts to buy in or get out of areas that they that they feel are going to be opportunistic for their clients or help them hold on to their capital. So all of this, the, the investment world, in, in a sense, is set up so that you, you have this massive team of professionals behind your portfolio, big or small, to try to help make sure that the best thing is happening giving, given the market conditions that we're in now. So it's kind of a cool system we have here. Um, <laughs> how important is it to have a structured portfolio and keep with the strategy, even in the high highs and low lows? On a scale of one to 10, I would put it at 11. There you go. (laughs) So important. Uh, Very important. And having a structured portfolio is the best way for investors to minimize the risk and maximize growth potential. Trying to chase the next best ideas based on a rational behavior, it will only prevent investors from achieving their long-term financial goals, which which is the goal. Yep. You know, the goal isn't for an investor to be up a thousand percent year over year. Right. Their goal is to achieve their long-term goals and you're supposed to have those conversations with your advisor to help you figure out what those goals are. I'm gonna stop you there because that's such an important point is, uh, I think in the last five years, people lost sight of why why were why were you investing in the first place? Was it to make 30, 40% a year? Or was there a goal you had in mind? And if you're approaching that goal like retirement, mm-hmm. scale back. You don't your goal anymore doesn't need to be hitting home runs. Not that it had to be in the first place, but that's a good point. It's your goal is your goal is your target return, not um, the highest risk thing that can make you the most money. If you've reached your goal, then the return you got to get you there was enough to help you reach your goal. And that's a success in itself. Exactly. Now it's a different, it's a different story. It's yeah. about preventing loss. It's about downside protection. Yep. It's, it's a different way of thinking now versus investing in the next new idea. Yep. Um, maybe a summary of structured portfolios. It again, helps prevent investors from making irrational decisions, mm-hmm. which naturally it can happen a lot when markets are down or an asset class is out of favor. Two, it prevents us again from timing the markets, which is what we were just talking about. Timing the markets is not as important as important as time in the markets. Having a structured portfolio that is custom created by your advisor is a reminder that this was built for you and your long-term goals. No matter what is going on in the markets, you have absolute faith that your strategy will perform in the long term, which is exactly what we were talking about. It's about having faith that you can retire happily and not be concerned about money or not be concerned about 
the next check that's coming in. This is this is exactly why we're here to help. Yeah, and that's structure is for times like this. Yeah. Right? Like structure is for the time you hate it. Um, Couldn't have said it better. That's exactly it. So we're going through a time like now, and it's important for people to remember, like, um, the right thing isn't always doing something, right? And that I think that's what people feel like when, when we start losing control, like when when market events are happening or geopolitical events are happening that are negatively affecting the markets, we, we want to do something to get control of things. Um, but a well-structured portfolio, I know it's cliche, and I always found when I first got into the business 2007, um, the older advisors always told told me in a time where things are down, well, just stick to the plan you have. Don't be making any changes. But then you think, well, the client wants change. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, in 2008, you heard a lot of people say, well, you know, the market's crashed and we didn't do anything. Um, but your portfolio is alive. If, if you've selected a good managers, um, with good institutions that have great research teams, great analytics, like they're, they, that portfolio is moving around. So if, maybe not all of the time, mm-hmm. but if you're going through a downturn and you're not getting a call saying, we need to move funds now, what that probably means is, you know, the manager that made you money when things were up and you were high-fiving and you loved them, um, they're the same people who are running the money as the as the funds go down. And so if we trusted them for the returns they got when things were good, um, now is exactly the time where you wanna kind of hand the keys over to someone who's gonna be able to detach themselves from the chaos of the news, the emotions of the market, and try to make the moves that are best for the client. Um, no fund manager has the goal of losing money. No advisor does either. Um, so structure yeah that's that's so important and the longer i'm in this business the more people who've been in a lot longer than me sound boring and i find myself sounding sounding as boring as them that we have a plan it's well thought out you need to let it run this is a time for good managers to manage and uh, not make big shifts while uh, emotions are running high because that's an emotional decision. That's yeah. an irrational decision. Just just bringing it back to an irrational decision versus a rational decision or a rational person. And that's exactly what you were doing, Ben, and portfolio managers, fund managers. That is also their goal is to be as rational as possible, especially when markets are down. And you said it right where no no portfolio manager wants to underperform. Yeah. If you trust them when returns were high, trust them when returns are down as well. Yeah, they care. Um, their their job is tied to them <laughs> doing well relative to the market, so they do care. Yes. Well, Alex, this has been great. Uh, thanks so much for being willing to come on, and thank you uh, to National Bank for letting you come yes. and chat with us about investor behavior, and hopefully this will help uh, comfort some people as they tune in at a challenging time in the market to know that, hey, um, I need to keep myself in check and this will hopefully help people from making some wrong decisions at the wrong time. So thanks for coming on with us. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Ben. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to The Clear Money Mindset. 
We at Davies Financial Sterling Mutuals are here to help you thrive with your finances. You can find us online at daviesfinancial.ca. For help with your personal finances, you can email us at office at daviesfinancial.ca. The opinions expressed are those of the participants and are for informational purposes only and do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of Sterling Mutuals, Inc. Mutual funds provided through Sterling Mutuals, Inc. Commissions, trailer commissions, management fees, and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the simplified prospectus before investing. Mutual funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated.